Hello, one and all, and welcome to The Week That Really Was with John McGurk and Sarah Ryan. It is the week ending the 17th of November, 2023. It is nearly time to start hearing Mariah Carey on the radio. Uh, have you got your Christmas decorations up yet, Sarah? No, I'm, I'm fighting it off day by day. It's like, oh God, they really they really want to put the Christmas tree up, but um, no, not yet. I, I grew up in a house, I don't know about you, that had a real Christmas tree. Um, oh, God, no. Oh, no. No, no, no. Fake all the way. Really? So now, but I've become a fake house. And the thing is that if your kids want you to put the Christmas tree up like a month, like now or basically next weekend, kind of has to be fake because if it's real, it looks a bit scaldy by Christmas Day. <laughs> it does. It does. And I just, I feel terrible. I would feel terrible about like cutting a perfectly healthy young tree and watching it die in my house. I, I, I yeah, you know, that's so, not to criticize what your family did. I'm sure it was lovely. I'm sure there was a lovely smell of pine needles for a couple of weeks, but no, it wouldn't be for me. Yeah, the smell is lovely, but now I, 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 uh, I'm fighting it off day by day. But they're having all kinds of dramas. They're, they're losing teeth. They so were in that phase of losing teeth, and then losing in both senses of the word because like they lose the tooth, and then they put the tooth in their pocket, and then because they insist like boys are weird. Like you're all so weird. Like why are you always like carrying around things? We had this whole drama on the holidays in the summer where one of my sons insisted on carrying a dead lizard around in his pocket for like a week. No, well, you know, that was his lizard. It was, it, possession. it was dry. It was, you know, like he found it on the beach. It was it like was desiccated. Like, yeah. So it wasn't exactly like rotting, but it was still so gross. Yeah, he probably had strong intentions of bringing that home and putting it in a glass case and becoming 100%. A, the next David Attenborough. Oh, yeah. We've all been there. We've all well, been there. no, but, we haven't actually, but I think as a boy, you probably have. It's yeah, like, so we, we here, meaning, meaning the male half of the species. Um, on the Christmas tree, though, I, I really think that I'm going to give you some parenting advice. I think it, it, you have to hold the line, Sarah. I think there's some things that are traditional and 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 the line should be held. And one of those is Christmas tree goes up on the 8th of December, comes down on the 6th of January. Things, it, otherwise, I mean... 8th of this, December, John, I'm not going to hold, I won't be able to hold them off that long. Well, 1st of December at the very earliest. So, it, previous years, it was... It was in Malahide, there's a kind of a thing that the last weekend, like, so it's like the 26th, 27th, 28th, something like that of November, there is a Santa parade that comes to Malahide village. And mm -hmm. so, and it was always on a Sunday. So I tried to hold off until that Sunday, but now you see school is lethal. Like they're in school and everyone's like, you have to have your Christmas tree up for the toy show. First of all, first of all, my kids, watched watched i say in inverted commas the toy show for the first time last year it starts at nine o'clock they were ko'd at about 10 past nine yep i had to i had to try and keep them awake like they're, they're really good my kids and parents were really blessed with the sleep and like they're they go to bed like at half seven and they go to sleep and so to keep them up filling them full of sweets and nonsense and then they didn't even get it to be honest like a lot of it is kind of chatting and you know they weren't they weren't fans so now they've been like, they've heard about the toy show again in school. They're like, we have to watch the toy show. We want to have our tree up. And I'm like, first of all, you don't even watch it. And second of all, oh, the tree. Yeah. So it might be next weekend, John, I'm afraid. Uh, no, I think I'm just strongly, I'm staunchly opposed. I mean, I just think, I mean, what's going to, I mean, if, if this keeps expanding at this rate, in about 50, 60 years, people will be putting them up in the middle of July. Because I mean I, I, I'm exaggerating, but like the, the, it seems to be now Christmas starts in November. I mean I I actually think it's one of the reasons people say they dread Christmas and um, Edgar, I think it's because it goes on so long. It like all the advertising for Christmas turns it into an ordeal. I mean, do you I, 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 I like, on the other hand, do you not think on the other hand that like the 
yes, but also like there are people and like I'm kind of one of them and like I love Christmas, right? I love decorating the house for Christmas. Love it, love it, love it. Like I think like there are people, there's so much sadness and misery in the world, especially right now, that if putting people sitting at home on the weekend, like, you know, one particular person I know I'm thinking of lives alone. And if it makes her happy to put it up on the 2nd of November, well, like, go for your life. Yeah, I suppose. Fair enough. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it, it kind of brings happiness. I mean, in my case, I'm delighted to get the Christmas decorations up because the kids like Christmas decorations and Christmas trees actually cover a multitude of sins. And like, there's been a number of kind of exploding through yogurt things in the last couple of months and stuff that the Christmas tree will distract nicely from the fact that the walls could really do being painted. So I'm looking forward to it from that point of view. If but I'm like, in your house, if I'm in your house between now and Christmas, I'm going to be looking for the yogurt stains. No, no. They just draw on the walls. They nightmare, nightmare. So yeah. Well, anyway, I'll hold off for now, but I can't make any promises, John. Anyway, I tried to start the show every week with some comments from last week, some feedback that we got. Somebody said last week, you only read out negative comments. Would you read out some positive ones? So there was this one from a guy called Two Pints of Milk. He said, cheers, John and Sarah. I'm a minute in, but I'm going to guess it's brilliant as always. God bless. But then unfortunately, Sarah, he didn't actually reply to say he'd listened to the whole show and whether that was still (laughs) his opinion. So I hope. We'll never know. If he's listening, let us know. Uh, uh, and I mean in fairness there are a lot of nice comments and I'm not going to read them all out because you're not here to listen to me reading our praise Uh, but we had a couple of comments on substantive matters we had um, a lot of people wanting us to address the fact that Joseph Puska who was found guilty last week of murdering Ashley Murphy had been living um, they say in state accommodation uh, in a very nice house and wondering why he was entitled to that given that he'd never worked in Ireland and why he came here from Slovakia and was entitled to a house Um, in the middle of the country. And I think it's a good question. And the reason we haven't talked about it is because I, I, I the the answer is I, I don't have the facts. Yeah. Um but I, I do think there's uh there's a legitimate question there that that could um be pursued and I'm sure will be pursued over time. Um and there's another point on that case. Um we got a, a comment from somebody called at 79 Jody and this is something I want to address because we've gotten a lot of it in the days since that verdict in a grip which is why, why are we not covering the fact that Ashley Murphy's death was originally reported as a strangulation and not stabbing? The answer to that is that very often in criminal cases where there's a murder investigation, the guardie will either omit information or put out slightly false information about the nature and circumstances of how somebody died because only the killer will know the truth. Yeah. And so, for example, in the... And I, I'm not saying as this is certain fact that this happened, but in the Puska case, if you followed it, when he was in the hospital and confessed to the murder, he said, I did it, I stabbed her. Now, that wasn't public information at the time, which obviously made his confession a lot more relevant. Had he said, I did it, I strangled her, uh, yeah. then they might have thought he was going to listen to the news. So that's one explanation for why that might have happened. I don't know the answer, but I'm not entirely convinced, I have to say, that there was anything particularly nefarious to that information being put out. The guardies sometimes have good operational reasons for putting out um, information that isn't. And and also, let's be honest, like, and I, you know, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, uh, we haven't exactly covered ourselves in glory over the last 10 years when it comes to going absolutely mental and whipping ourselves up into a frenzy about details about cases that actually jeopardise those cases long term. Mm. So, like, 
there's umpteen reasons why the Guardi or, you know, why things are reported which way or whatever way. And like sometimes we'll never know why, but they will. Yeah, and a lot of people, in fairness, and, and it's it's not badly intentioned, Sarah, but a lot of people don't know the rules that media are obliged to cover during cases like this. We basically can't report anything for the reason that um, if we do, we could prejudice a trial and mean that somebody who's guilty walks free. So yeah. we, we can't report a lot of stuff about the Garda investigation. So, for example, there was this story going on for months and months and months. Um, you saw it on social media that Joseph Puska knew Ashling Murphy, that his kids were in um, her school, yeah. that she had allegedly reported them to social service. And it was all nonsense. But even though it was going around and, and a lot of us knew it was nonsense, we, we couldn't comment on it in public. It's it's just not permitted to do so. To do, do so, so that's a matter of interest. Do you think that that like so? Let's just take that particular thing there, because I heard that my my mother's a teacher or was a teacher. All my aunts are teachers, whatever. So I I remember hearing that and being kind of disturbed by it. And do you think that somebody sat down and said, "I'm going to make this up and put that out into the into the kind of onto the internet and it just spread like wildfire or do you think it's sort of more accidental i think it's more accidental i think it probably starts with somebody saying i wonder if this what this is what happens and yeah. then somebody else says well somebody said to me that it might have been that and then the third person says well i heard that it was i think that's that's what happens i mean I, you know there there are definitely situations in the world where people are sitting down deliberately putting out nonsense and rubbish um you can see it and but more on big international stories i think than than on domestic stories like there's also the the journey back during the pandemic where everyone was listening to this whatsapp about the lad whose brother was in the army and the, they'd been told they were going to be doing x y and z in the morning um, oh yeah, yeah so, that. some of that some of that I, you know i don't know where it starts but it starts and it gets credence and it goes around the place you know by and large i think and, and there's no bigger critic of the Irish media than me, right? And they, we'll come to an example of that in a second when we start talking about this week. But by and large, I think it's safe to say that if it's if it's not in the Irish Times, it's not in the journal, it's not on Gripped, it's not on RTE, and you haven't heard it on News Talk, and it's just something that's doing the rounds. If, 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 if nobody's reporting it and it seems like it's a really big thing, there's probably a good reason why it's not being reported. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a good general route. Not always true. It's a, it's a good general rule. Anyway, speaking of the media, did you tune in last night, Sarah, to the uh, Orshi program from the future? No, I didn't. But I know you're going to tell me about it. Yeah, so also, I did. I did way, you I did. said you don't listen, you don't watch Orshi. So and I and I don't. And I made an exception, and I went back and I watched it on the Orshi player today because Eilish O'Hanlon in the Indo did a review of it. Now it's important to say that I did because obviously we get the press releases. RTE had included this as being one of the highlights of its autumn schedule. That oh, there was going God. to be there was going to be this special documentary from the future hosted by Mark Little um, about like how the world was facing climate change. Now, okay, if, explain to me what do you mean a documentary from the future? So basically, they had Harry McGee from the Irish Times, and they had Cara Augustenberg, who's a Green Party member and activist, and they had Mark Little, and they had them all sitting in the studio. But they, this is very important, I said, they were pretending that it was the year 2050. And they were having conversations like they were talking in the future. And uh, Harry McGee, who's a very, we talked about Harry last week, great journalist, love Harry. But he, in fairness, he did look a bit sheepish when he was saying things like, and of course, 25 years ago, um, 
people weren't copying on to this at all. And like he was, he was oh acting. Oh my God, no. Yes, yes, he was acting there. So, I mean, the basic scenario was, as so I'm regaling you with this, you, you apparently didn't see it. For, for everyone else who's listening, if you read one thing this week, um, normally I'd say read something on grip.ie, but I'm going to make an exception. Read Eilish O'Hanlon's review of this program in the Irish Independent. It's the funniest thing you'll read all week. Um, okay, I have to read that then. Yeah, yeah. So the, the basic scenario was the year is 2050. Um, Connemara is uninhabitable because of climate change. Yeah. Uh, Ireland is getting a flood of refugees in because the evil Tory government in Britain has built a massive wall around the island. I shit you not, a massive wall around the island. Stop anyone getting in. So we're getting a massive flood of refugees in. Um, but all the rich people have kind of left the planet and have settled on the moon um, because there's a there's a there's a, a rich billionaire who I think was called Marcus Grift. That's subtle, isn't it? Um, uh, who had built a base on the moon for rich people to escape the damage of climate change. But the program was being broadcast live from 2050 as Prime Minister of Sweden Greta Thunberg addressed the United Nations, where she was basically imposing this plan that would allow the United Nations. Wait for this, now, Sarah, to invade every country that wasn't enacting a net zero strategy and force them at gunpoint to do so in last ditch effort to save the world. And so eventually the plan plan passed. Um, Greta Thunberg's armies were on the march to slaughter all the non-climate believing, climate change believing infidels, obviously, and uh, restore sanity to the world. And uh, Mark Little was very happy. And that was the program. And I'll tell you... Uh, you are you joking? Like, are, no. is this a joke? No, I'm deadly serious. It was the single most appallingly funny, but also appalling thing I think I've ever seen. Like, don't get me wrong. You're kind of making me want to watch it. Yeah, that's the thing. I I mean, it, it's actually worth watching. Like, it's the kind of thing. So sometimes, right, my other half, Keith, that's the kind of thing that I would get so much entertainment out of watching him watch it that it would be worth watching. Do you know what it was like? It was like, um, and I'll get in trouble with some people now for, for suggesting something like this, but do you, do you know like if the, you've got like a bunch of kids in college and they're sitting around in in, uh, in an apartment absolutely stoned off their heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. like some program comes on telly that's not supposed to be funny, but it's actually the funniest thing you've ever seen. Yes, I it's, it's, it's one I, wouldn't, of those. I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to give anything away, but if you recall years and years and years ago, MTV used to do these medley days of my super sweet sixteen. Do you remember that TV show? Yes. And and one may have found themselves in a similar situation and laughed for twelve hours straight at people's sixteen birthdays, which weren't supposed to be funny, but were very, yeah. very funny. Yeah. So that's that's that that's what they put out. And they put it out in in, in prime time. Right after the nine o'clock news, and I mean, I'm just wondering, this is a broadcaster that that's supposed to be fighting for its future. Are they insane? I mean, because I cannot imagine that there was. I mean, I, I maybe there was maybe there's some gullible people around the country who are watching long, this. Kind of how game. long did this go on for? Uh, so, I, from memory, I think like an hour. Um, but it was horrendous. Um, but I mean, the, the whole basic, the basic thing behind it Sarah was that like you know it's 2050 uh, you didn't listen to Greta Thunberg when she was a teenager now she's the Prime Minister of Sweden so she's going to have to invade your country and make you behave I, I mean as, as Jason O'Mahony our, our mutual friend said to me today 
most of the people cheering this on, can you imagine what they would say if tomorrow the United Nations said we're going to spend 200 billion creating a military force that can invade countries and bend them to our will? Um, that's but, but that's not, and that's only unfortunately that's only one of the big problems with this entire thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the rich people living on the moon to avoid the consequences. Um, and they had a cartoon villain guy who was kind of a mashup of Elon Musk and um, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, we'll say, who was like this weirdo oddball who built a, a, a moon base and was kind of like, yeah, well, you know, you, you pay and come and live in the moon and avoid the consequences. It was bizarre. I mean, I, I, an I wonder, amazing advance of technology in just 25 years, to be fair. Yeah, I wonder if they if they were just stoned when they wrote it, to be honest. With you. Um, I'd love to know how much that cost. They also had a guy like at the start, they were like doing archive footage of conspiracy theorists from the 2020s. And they had a guy who was basically far right Fergal from Fair City, who was there kind of like, well, I don't believe in climate change. And like Mark Little after the footage was kind of like putting his head. And, Why did we listen to that kind? You know, it, it was it was a, a you didn't a, <laughs> you didn't listen to him. Uh, B and B like. It's so sanctimonious, isn't it? Like it's so funny. Uh, like for like, there's just as much chance that that program will be shown as like, and people will laugh at it. I mean, I said, I said today. I mean, the conversation in Ireland about this stuff is dominated by people who belong in a nearly cursed, a fecking lunatic asylum. They really do belong in a lunatic asylum. Well, it's actually a podcast. I can curse. They fucking belong in a in a in a in a lunatic asylum. It is insanity to me. This is on the national broadcaster. I I mean, I would hope that in a decade people will look back on that. I mean, I I suspect it's one of those programs that will never be shown again. Yeah, you know, it'll be one of those ones that like. Do you remember that they did this? And somebody will dig up the ar- archive footage in about eight or ten years, and everyone will just disbelieve. I think it's parody. But it's also kind of like there are people. And like, you know, that that find the concept of like some of the climate change stuff really terrifying. It's almost kind of terrorizing people over and over. Do you know what I mean? Like climate change is real. Okay. But like scaring the bejesus out of people. Like, by the way, I listened to Joe Duffy today, John, right? I don't always, as we've discussed this before, but it just happened on the radio when I was pottering around collecting the kids and uh, they had this guy on who I only got some bits of it but basically he put it sounds like he didn't say the brand but it sounds like you know like tiles or maybe like a apple um you know like an apple disc that like the thing that you can track oh yes and he put like four in a row in four different recycle like bags and they all ended up in an incinerator <laughs> he, he tracked them they were all paper. Do you know? Do you follow? So mm-hmm. he had like the recycle bin, and four times in a separate occasions, he put the tile or whatever it's called into this bin, followed it, tracked its whereabouts, and it ended up in an incinerator. So that means that he said he's like, well, this question's to be answered. I'm going to all this effort to do a recycle bin, and it's actually just being incinerated anyway. Well, first of all, I'd say he must have a lot of time in his hands. I know, but I love those. I love those kind of legends who, like, just really put the time into something like that. Because you know, the world turns because of people like that, and I'm never going to be that kind of person. I don't have that kind of brain, but I love them. I love those kind of nerds. I do. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's it's it. Look, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't. I'm obviously not familiar with the case. Um, And you know, if it was on Joe Duffy, hopefully there's somebody somewhere sweating a bit. Having heard this, because that'll be that'll be that'll be one of those things that's a proper scandal now. 
but that's the kind of right you see the thing is that like that it's, it's perfect because if he like those tiles i think he i think he must mean a tile because he said he had four and i think those apple ones are kind of expensive mm-hmm. so like but he'll have digital evidence of all of this mm-hmm. well so, let's say say he put it in the wrong bin well that's true um but but yeah in principle yeah look it's uh if so, if that is happening, somebody somewhere knows, of course. So it'll be very hard for the the company. Green bin involved. will probably be taken out on a different day, though, John. So you'd be able to show that it was the day of the green bin. At the risk of making this the most boring episode of the podcast <laughs> in history, my bins go out at the same time. They're collected oh, every, every Monday, Monday, Monday every fortnight. Um, so, uh, anyway, uh, the point is that, like, on the one hand, you have, you're spending forty budget on doing this thing that scares the bejesus out of people and on the other hand we haven't even gotten our recycling sorted and the stuff we are doing is so petty you know I saw Eric Nelligan today who's an A2 councillor down in no, he's council candidate no councillor down in down in, in Limerick pointing out that you know this ban of this new tax on SUVs that they're bringing in yeah um, which jealousy, is it, jealousy tax <laughs> well it's the, it's the kid tax really isn't it I mean, it's the. I mean, who who drives SUVs? Except like every time, I, the only time people I see most in SUVs are mums dropping kids to school. Um, it, it is it is it is basically you've got if you've got a, a car like that, you probably have kids. Um, and it's also it's, I don't drive an I drive a, a like you know a Tucson Hyundai and it's kind of jeepy, I suppose. But like, it, it, it's not like it's. You know, there's, there's the, like the they're always consumed with the with the Range Rovers. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I I'm not sure that that's actually fully demonstrated that the emissions from a Range Rover, you know, depending on the brand of, or the size or whatever, are that different from a kind of a like a car like mine. But also, I, also, I'm sorry. I mean, it, let, let's say that you drive your Tucson and I I decide to buy a Toyota Yaris, yeah. and we we drive them beside each other for sixty thousand kilometers or one hundred and sixty thousand kilometers, however long the car lasts until we decide to replace it. Yeah. Difference in lifetime emissions between you and me in that scenario is going to be about um, two minutes of one of Eamon Ryan's flights to Doha to yeah. discuss climate change. It is yeah. an absurdity, yeah. um, and it is like you call it the the jealousy tax. I, I think it, I think it, I I just think it is. There's, there's this determination. Just ask the person who's giving out about it. This is the key. Ask the person who's giving out about it if they have a problem, as much of a problem with a rain, with a with a, an electric Range Rover. Mm. And most of the time they do. Oh, they do. Yeah, they do. So why? Because honestly, if I managed to, have, if I had the money and managed to get my hands on an electric Range Rover, you'd have to pry it from my cold, dead hands. Like well, if, if I get one, you can have mine because I ain't driving any electric crap. Well, I mean, I, I really, I just want a Range Rover, but I'm just trying to make the point that like the. You know, like, listen, at the end of the day, I just don't really spend that much time thinking about what other people are driving. And I think that the whole thing about SUVs is a nonsense, like lots of things. As you yeah. said yourself, like, you know, Eamon Ryan was asked this by Gripped, actually, I think it was this week about how he's, fl- you know, he's saying this, that and the other. But he's, you know, making multiple international flights to do to do the work of supposedly of talking about climate change. And like, surely some of that could be done over Zoom. And his answer was absurd. Again, it was about, you know, well, you know, we can't start thinking about other people. Well, we actually can. We actually can. Because you're saying that people should stop going on as many uh, foreign holidays. Yeah, so what we does he do? He spends his whole time thinking about other people and what they do. We actually can think about you. Eamon Ryan, Ryan wouldn't be in politics if he didn't spend his whole time thinking about what other people do. 
I mean, he, he, he's perfectly entitled, if he wants, to sit at home in, in, in South Dublin and sell his bicycles and grow his watercress on the windsills. And, yeah. you know, he's only in politics because he spends his time thinking about what other people do. So it's but perfectly it's, legitimate it's to what, think about what he does. But also, it's it's like, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm, he, he, he's lecturing us about what we should and shouldn't and need to change. And that all might be fine. That's all, that all might be legitimate. But it's just difficult to swallow when he's going on so many flights. And that's just the nature of, of, of human beings. It's also difficult to swallow for me to go to a GP and accept lifestyle advice for my health from somebody who's up very overweight and smoking in front of me. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I thought his answer to the question was lackluster, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, look, I we, we, that's... But I'm going to watch your program tonight. When we hang up on this podcast i'm going to watch your i'm going to watch your show you should you should get you're, this, the one, get, you're finally it's it's, it's, it's the ultimate uh, irony john mcgurk is driving up the ratings of an rte program well this is it yeah uh, but make sure you pour yourself a stiff gin tonic first yeah i will um Anyway, but, but back to the topic of RTE, because they've had a big week. They got 56 million of our cash in a bailout. Um, I, I actually think, from the point of view of somebody who wouldn't wouldn't lose a second sleep of RTE went under in the morning, I, I don't think it's been a great week for them. Not just because of the hilarious program, but, I mean, there's a whole range of things. We'll talk about Ryan Tuberty in a moment, but, like, the bailout, I mean, one of the things it was was raising the white flag of surrender to all the people who have said, I'm not paying my TV license anymore. Yeah, TV license isn't sustainable because now the message the message is no longer you will go to court and maybe to jail for not paying it. The message is now, well, the government will just bail them out if you don't pay it. So why should you pay it? Um, and I, I think I, well, like Irish, like you know, I think if I know my Irish brothers and sisters, and I think I do, once you've not paid it this year, you're not going to go back to paying it next year. So they're talking, Minister Martin says that she is going to bring in a comprehensive funding plan for RTE early in the new year, which may involve some other kind of tax. But even that is bad news for RTE because new taxes are deeply unpopular. Um, mm. It will be tied undoubtedly to a permanent reduction in RTE's budget, the 400 redundancies they had to announce. Yeah. Um, uh, and and there's there'll be huge pressure to share that money with other media outlets. So I, I, and I, listened, I listened on, was it, it was Tuesday, um, you know, to a number of, of of radio programs that discussed those 400 redundancies and the breakdown and, you know, and it was all like, and you know, somebody who in my, in my career, you know, would have done, literally been involved in designing restructures, you know, that would be part redundancy, part yeah, putting people onto contracts, part, you know, all a, a, a big combination of different, like different changes. It was very, it was very light on, real detail that you could kind of wrap your arms around if you know what I mean like I, I couldn't make re like I listened to a number of because I was in um I was actually in Wicklow so I was driving home so I was in the car for a good kind of hour three hours total on Tuesday each way or an hour and a half each way and I listened to a number of things about it and I couldn't really like make head nor tail of what they were really saying can I can I issue a conspiracy theory go for it so my conspiracy theory about this is that if anyone who's ever watched the British television show um, from the 1980s, Yes Minister, and if you haven't, it's, it's widely available. You should watch it. it. It holds up. It's as good as ever. And it's the single best program you can ever watch if you want to understand how government works. But there's an episode, I think it's episode four of the first season, it's called The Economy Drive. And basically, 
the minister comes in and says to the civil service, I want sweeping cuts across uh, all departments. You know, we're going to really um, deliver value for money for the public. And the civil service comes and has, and eventually comes up with this plan to make the cuts as politically painful as possible. You know, as many redundancies as possible, like uh, target them at politicians as well, so that they all have to drive themselves and have no secretaries anymore, and like make them bear the pain of it. And with it, as and true enough, once they make it really painful, um, the cuts quietly go away. I think RTE announcing four hundred redundancies and laying loads of people off and slashing half the company was supposed to provoke a backlash that never came. That's my theory. Yeah, it's not uh, a problem. Um, and I think it's, I think, I think, I think, I talked to somebody sort of tangentially involved, tangentially involved in RTE this week who shared that theory and thought there was a bit of shell shock inside RTE, inside Donnybrook, that there hadn't been a big political backlash to it. Um, well, when you say political backlash, you mean that they thought that... I mean that they didn't have Paul Murphy and Richard Boyd Barrett standing outside with like big placards going, no, 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 sacking RTE workers. And they didn't have the Labour Party out. And they didn't have Mary Lou McDonald saying this is a disgrace about the, the employees of RTE. Oh, uh, surely they didn't expect that one. Like they, they surely they, 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 they can read the room enough that like the public... I don't know. Redundancy. I mean, imagine it was... Imagine it was... Um, uh, private company down the road laying off 400 people I know the but pressure that would be on to save those jobs I know but a private company down the road hasn't just spent the last six months explaining away how they were spending how many thousands of euro on flip-flops you yeah know? true 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 no no I'm not I'm, I'm not saying that the outcome was shocking but I'm saying I think that there may have been people in RTE who expected a slightly different outcome yeah yeah you might be right and uh, I don't know I, I, I think there was like I'd love like to sit down and I say I will, I might. Um, and like really trying to get into the like grit, the nitty gritty of what they're talking about there because 400 redundancies doesn't sound like 400 redundancies really. But they're saying, saying they'll all be voluntary and it's it's quite hard to get people to take voluntary redundancy, especially in that sector because I mean, it's not as if there's other places to go. Yeah. yeah. If you're a cameraman or something like that, I mean, like I'm not aware that Virgin Media are hiring. I'm not sure that there's a whole load of independent production companies. There certainly aren't four hundred people who are miraculously going to arrive at retirement age. It's 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 a challenging number to set. It's twenty percent of the workforce. And also, you know, and I know that if they went to Virgin Media, they undoubtedly would be making a massive ta- taking a massive pay cut. Yeah, um, and then so I suppose to compensate for that, the redundancy package will have to be very uh, attractive, um, which will generate scandal in its own. So so there's that, and then there is the. Then there was, of course, the announcement that presenters' pay is going to be cut to two hundred and fifty thousand euro of a maximum, which would mean, for example, that Joe Duffy would be taking a hundred thousand euro pay cut, which is not an insubstantial pay cut. He's still going to be very well paid, of course, so we're not shedding tears on his behalf. But I mean, they have to negotiate that down with their most senior presenters at a time when Ryan Torbery has just gotten another job elsewhere. Which I think makes those negotiations a little bit more just difficult. Just to be fair to Joe, I don't think there's anybody else who could com- commandeer a conversation about tiles and bins quite like him. <laughs> no one else could do that job. True, but uh, he might say, "I'll take it to Capital TV in London." I don't know. As uh, a matter of interest, if Capital TV in London, like just Capital, before, Ra- Capital Radio, Capital Radio, sorry, Capital Radio, like would they be big payers? You put me on the spot there. I don't know. I mean, the the, the they they. I think commercial radio is um, fairly well paid. I wouldn't have a clue. Like, 
Is Tuberty going to an equally paid or similarly paid job, or is he is he taking a massive pay cut? I don't like. I wouldn't have a clue. Like, I'm just curious. If anybody so, knows this, feel free to tweet us. Yeah. So, so Tuberty is going to a, a company called Virgin Radio, who right. have uh, both Graham Norton and and Chris Evans on the books. So. Chris Evans, I believe, when he went to Capital Radio a couple of years ago, um, was was going to command a two million a year salary. Oh, but that is that's Chris Evans. Chris Evans, um, if you, I, I, I have to guess, a lot of Irish people know who he is. He used to do like Saturday Night TV in the UK. Um, he was a massive star. They they poached him from BBC. It was kind of like the equivalent of Pat Kenny going to News Talk, right? Yeah. So what I'm saying is, Chris Evans is a massive salary for going and doing that breakfast show was a function of the fact that he was going to bring an awful load of listeners with him. Yeah. Um, Ryan Tuberty, I suspect, I have no idea what he's going to be paid. I'm not going to speculate what he is going to be paid. But I will say, he's not going to be bringing a whole load of listeners with him to Virgin Radio in the UK. Yeah. And they they don't have, apart from Chris Evans and Graham Norton, they don't really have any presenters who Irish people would know. So, so I I don't know what he's going to be paid, but I, I suppose from his point of view, He's getting uh, the opportunity to build a brand for himself in the UK, and he's also getting the opportunity to do his his morning show is going to be broadcast on some Irish stations like Q102 in Dublin and Live 95 FM in Limerick. So he gets to retain that aspect of his Irish audience as well. Well, what I will say about this is, or like, I don't, I don't care what he's paid. It was just more of a, a matter of interest. But I did um, see on TikTok or somewhere earlier on, it came up a video of him kind of announcing that he was moving or that he was starting there and, you know, talking about, um, they were asking him some questions about himself or whatever, but what I was struck by the fact is that he looks, um, and I, I really don't mean this in a, in a bad way, but he, he looks kind of tired, you know, he looks shook. Like he looks like a man who's had a really rough few months, which undoubtedly he has. And, um, I wouldn't begrudge him his new job. I, I hope it goes well for him. I think might be the start of something, you know, really good for him. I think he was like, he became the scapegoat for something that was way bigger than him, right or wrong. It was bigger than him. And, um, uh, yeah, I, I like, I, I, I hope it goes well for him. I, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of people in Ireland who'd be delighted if they just never heard from him again. But yeah. I think, for, I think for a lot of people in jobs like that, when you're in the radio and it, you're you're an extrovert, number one, right? You've got to be an extrovert. You've got to like people. You've got to be comfortable being recognised in public. Yeah. Um, and I think there's also got to be some desire to be liked and loved. Um, and I think that would be, you know, I, I, I want to psychoanalyze the guy, but that's not fair. But I, I do think it's probably very hard when you're in that position if all of a sudden you're kind of not sure that people like you anymore. I think that yeah. can dis- dis- disproportionately affect some people more than others, and it would not surprise me if he was in that category and he did take it take it very badly. I, I don't really care about Ryan Tuberty, to be honest with you. I, I, he, he, as far as I'm concerned, he has never really been on the right side of any issue in the country. I'll never forget him during the pandemic telling people not to go, not to invite unvaccinated people to their weddings and that sort of stuff. I think he's always been a guy who kind of goes along with whatever the narrative is on a given day. Um, yeah. I didn't appreciate when he was the Late Late Show host the way he would, like, you know, he'd be a fluffy little kitten for 90% of guests. But then anytime anyone kind of politically controversial who was like yeah. opposed to the Irish establishment would come on, like Peter Casey, for example. Or I remember my, my good friend Declan Ganley went on in 2008, 2009. 
and and Tuberty would then turn into Scrappy Doo, like you know, with the, all that warmth would be gone, would be like you are on trial, and like he, he never hid his bias. So I mean, I I, I you know, I, on a personal level, obviously, I wish anyone well, and it's an exciting new challenge for him. But I won't miss him off the Irish airwaves. I have to say. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I never really watched the Late Late Show. I used to catch him on the radio sometimes, and I used to. One thing I I did like about him is that I found like he used to do quite hard, you know. Sometimes to be hard stories, you know, like people on talking about real tragedy and things. And I always thought he managed that quite well. Like he's mm. quite empathetic to those kind of stories. But you're absolutely right that anyone who was kind of you know, we don't like you. It was so obvious. You know, he was never fair to those yeah, people. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so we we shall see. Anyway, in other news this week, we have another new political party. Another one. This yeah. is this is a gang called Independent Ireland. They've been set up by Michael Collins, the Independent TD for Cork Southwest. Is that right? And Richard O'Donoghue, the Independent TD for Limerick County. Um. They have a, a nice little logo, little circly green thing, um, and basically they are in the space. They're, look, I, I gotta say these are guys I should be voting for. I mean, they're in my kind of space. You know, they're 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 pro rural, they're kind of anti bullshit, and they take kind of positions on uh, immigration and law and order and farming, and you know, they're not fond of the greens. I, mean, I think there's space for them there, but I'm just so jaded at this stage, Sarah. I, I, I don't know whether to be optimistic or pessimistic. And I'm a pessimist, so I think it's going to be very hard for them, but we'll watch with great interest. What do you think? I think um, I think this. I think there's a huge amount of competence there. Um, Richard O'Donoghue and Michael Collins are both like very smart guys. Um, and they have a huge amount of kind of like... I'm from Dublin and I'm not a, I'm not a, a I, I couldn't ever possibly claim to be, a, to be any kind of, have any kind of deep insights on rural issues. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't know the difference between a fork and a grape. You wouldn't. I don't know what that means, but yeah. Exactly. exactly. There you go. There you go. Exactly. Um, but I think that there is a massive amount of issues that are affecting, you know, rural rural communities, farmers, whatever, that aren't aren't getting any airtime. I think that there's a like a, a um an absence of common sense across all of the parties, unfortunately, in terms of a number of 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 you know big issues that we've talked about on this podcast a number of times. And I think that they're they're that, that a new party that there's this space I think there's space for a new party. I mean I, I definitely do. I think that there's people who are wondering who to vote for. The challenge for them will be, I think they need a suite of policies that draw an interest from, you know, cities. Um, I don't know. I, I, off the top of my head, I don't know how they're going to do that, but I think that they need to, you know, have a broader appeal than just being rural, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure they will. But I think that, I think, like, fair play to them. Like, I think... It's good for politics. It's good for the public to feel like there's a constant regeneration of, of, of you know, ideas and 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 people to vote for. I think it's hard to to do this. We know from previous experience that people have tried and failed in the past. I think it's brave. I think that so many people are really jaded with the established parties and the whole thing. And if 
if this even just starts conversations about big issues, it's a good thing. It's a good idea. I'm surprised and a bit disappointed that Manny McGrath is not involved in it. I thought he would be. Um, but I think, I think, like, I, I think it's only a good thing. I like, I think that there's a lot of people who are really pissed off with the establishment, and without, uh, without doubt, and the, without and, doubt, and you're constantly inundated. I, I'm sure you are because I certainly am by people who say, "I don't know who to vote for." Well, this is it. That I, I get that all the time, and and from from in inverted commas normal people. Not yeah. people who are not people who are ripped subscribers because they have a particular view of the world, and not people be, you know be, uh, people who listen to Joe Duffy and watch Orti who have no idea who to vote for. And, and they're the, not yeah, exactly. They're not even single issue voters. They're voters who vote across a load of different re- for a load of different reasons, and they just don't seem to have a home right now. And like, well, I'll tell you what they are. If you want to, what I get the feeling a lot of those voters are people who always voted Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael. Yeah. And th- th- they're not under any circumstances going to vote for Sinn Fein. That is that that is that is out for them be- for reasons to do not with current day politics, but because of stuff that happened in the eighties and nineties that we won't go into. Um, and and also probably Sinn Fein are a little bit too left wing for them on issues. And and at the moment, I think a lot of voters like that are kind of stuck in that kind of camp where they're either saying maybe Fianna Fáil, maybe Fine Gael. Out of, by default, or maybe independent, and I think, I think, I think, if the rural independents play it right, or the independent Ireland's given their name, there's a huge swathe of people out there who used to be FF and FG voters who don't recognise their own parties who are looking for something else. Yeah, and okay. I actually, I actually met um, somebody a couple of weeks ago who's planning on running for this. I won't say where or anything because it's not fair to give anything away about this but I met this person and she um, was thinking of running for this new party or whatever and I was I'll tell you what I was really struck by this is a person who's you know from a farming background and it was just the the passion the kind of the real like I thought to myself like this is a real smart person who's got a really like is running because they're for all the right reasons, if you know what I mean, like organically has just gotten so like annoyed with what's happening in their industry, in their area that they're going to run for a party. And it was like really nice. And I know a few people who are involved in, in like on the non running side, on the more administrative organizational side of this new party. And they're all smart people and they're really passionate. They're really enthusiastic. And I think, you know, they have they all the other parties have one thing that these new guys don't have. All the other party, all the other parties, and I know people who work across the board in different parties, and they're jaded. Mm-hmm. They're really tired. They've been knocking around for years. They're tired. They're punch drunk, tired of the whole hump of it. And these guys, and I think that's only a good thing. Yeah, I think I, they might do better than you think. Well, I hope so. I mean, I, I, I want to say I hope that they do well. I hope, I hope by the way, A2 does well as well. I hope, I hope sort of lots of newer blood does well. I think if you're if you're out there and you're an energetic citizen and you disagree with the status quo and you want to see about change and you're standing for election, I hope you do well. 
whoever you're standing for. I suppose I I, I was through this in. No, that's a bit of a stretch. Now you hope you do well, whoever you're standing for. Don't be don't say nonsense, John. You don't hope people do well if they come <laughs> if they're standing for certain parties and certain things. Well, look, if you're standing for the Social Democrats, now look, you know, fair play to you and all the rest, but but I won't shed tears if you don't do well. So thank you, Sarah, for pulling me up on on that. Yeah. Um, but I more meant sort of on the general sort of correct side of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I, I was through this with Libertas in 2008, 2009, the European elections and attempt to set up a new party. And like, it's it's an exceptionally challenging thing to do. People talk about the Dutch Farmers Party, for example, and the massive impact they've made. It, they have, but they've done it because it's a list system where basically you need one charismatic leader and uh, people can just vote for the party. And then there's just a list of candidates who get elected if you get like 10%, 12%, whatever. But in Ireland, you effectively need 43 good candidates and they're very hard to find. Um, and good candidates are, are it, it's almost an indefinable thing. You need to be an outgoing person. You need to be somebody who's got a good base of connections in the community. You need to be sensible. You need to not believe that the moon is made of a Swiss cheese. You, you need all sorts of, you need to be um, a little bit mad, but not too mad. Yeah, you know it's, like it's 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 very challenging. I mean, they, they've got a good start because they've got two elected TDs, um, and they're two. I, I, and by the way, I share your assessment. I think Michael Collins in particular is going to surprise people. I think people put Michael Collins into that basket um, with sort of, um, and this is not to denigrate the people I'm mentioning. But they put him in that kind of Michael Healy Ray, Matty McGrath basket of sort of like slightly eccentric rural character who won't relate to people and i think they're going to be surprised that he's not like that at all 100 percent agree he, yeah he's he's a much more um intellectual sort of fellow than you might think um and that's not to say that maddie and michael aren't 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 that at all if they're listening and, and uh, but there's an indefinable there's an indefinable sort of quality about those that gets projected onto michael that I think yeah. isn't there. And no, there's a quiet, like there's kind of a quiet thoughtfulness that's going on there with him. That he's like that he's a thinker. And mm -hmm. I always give out and say, you know, people should be doing more thinking. And that's a guy who's thinking. Well, we shall see. Um, to the government we have, because we're running short on time, Michal Martin this week um is off in the Middle East. Um, delivering, it should be said, and in fairness, delivering some diplomatic successes. I mean, they they have managed to get. Irish citizens out of Gaza and not many people are getting out of Gaza at the moment so that that's in fairness to the government um, yeah you know. credit where credit's due um, and also I think it's it, it, you find it interesting that his I mean obviously this week we had in the Oireachtas we had we had various votes on getting rid of the Israeli ambassador and referring them all to the International Criminal Court and, and you know we had Paul Murphy in a headscarf jumping up and down uh, going mad but then you had Michal Martin in Israel sounding um, a, a very different note. And I thought it was very interesting that he was saying things in Israel that I, I, he hasn't, it's not to say he hasn't said them at home, but he hasn't said them with as much clarity at home um, on stuff like condemning Hamas and demanding hostages to be released and that sort of stuff. Yeah, very unequivocally as well. I think it's different to stand in the middle of a kibbutz um, where people have been murdered and 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 not, you know, have a, a different tone. Put it that way. Mm. Um, but I think, I think like so far it seems like I would call that quite a successful visit. Um, I, I would also say this. I, I think this is important because he did obviously reiterate uh, the concerns of the Irish government about the operation in Gaza. 
Uh, and I know there are an awful lot of people, and many of them listening to this, because this isn't a, a linear left-right thing. There are people listening to this who passionately disagree with my view on that operation and and, and believe it should stop in the morning. Um, and some of my colleagues believe that. Um, but I thought what Michal Martin demonstrated um, when he was in Israel was a way to convey that message in a sensitive and respectful way. Um, like he, he was quite clear with the Israeli government uh, in his public statements that he felt that they were compounding a tragedy with another tragedy. This is his views. These aren't mine. Um, and that, you know, restraint will be rewarded in the long run. Um, and he managed to do it without calling them war criminals, without any of the kind of hysterical rhetoric we see at home. And he managed to demonstrate, and I think this is really important, that you can criticize Israel, including to the face of Israeli ministers, without even coming within a mile of a hint of anti-Semitism. And I think there's a lesson in the way he communicated that message that a lot of people at home could learn from. I'll put it as diplomatically as that. Yeah. Do you not think that the operation in Gaza should stop? No, I don't. Um, I'll tell you why. It's not because I love seeing dead Palestinians. It's not because I think it's great that schools get bombed. I don't think it's any of those things. Well, obviously, it, it, I mean, I'm not, like, obviously not. But No, like, but there are some listeners who will who will think that. Well, uh, no, but there are some listeners who will just, because, you know, like, again, it's it's like, it goes back to the, 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 the comments that you're reading out or whatever. Like, I'm not interested in engaging with people who are absolutely committed to misunderstanding everything I say. So... <laughs> Like people can just save it. Go on, go on, go on. Like because it's obvious, that, it's obvious that you don't think that, and it, like everyone, you know, it's obvious that you don't that that's not why you're saying it. So I'm curious as why you're saying it. Because then, because because what happens afterwards? If if the Israelis stop tomorrow, they put all their ground troops out of Gaza, they they put the fences back up, and they say, right, that's it. The job isn't finished. I mean, all that all that there is in that case is a big stinking pile of rubble. Um, and the people who committed October the 7th are still in place. And yeah, there might be peace for a year, two years, but those people will rebuild and they'll be back again. If you commit to doing what Israel has committed to doing, which is removing Hamas from power, then the operation has failed if that, if that mission hasn't been complete. Um, and... Like Removing Hamas from power, that sounds all very well, but like, is that really a possibility? I think you can degrade their... I mean, first of all, there hasn't been an election in, in the Gaza Strip since 2006 um, because Hamas banned all elections. Secondly, you, you know, can you remove them from power practically? Of course you can. Um, it, practically, it, 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 but, like, but, 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 but are you ever going to wipe out... Like, you know what I mean? Like, the, the, I'm just like... I suppose my question is, you're just you're just going to kill so many people that the hate, like that Hamas is just like. Well, hang on, I, I don't really, Hamas I don't see. That's the thing I don't really buy. I mean, obviously, I'm not in favor of killing loads of people, as a rule, but like, yeah. no one ever said that when the Americans are fighting ISIS. No one ever said, "Well, oh, you know, you're all these ISIS people, and they're going to be dead, and then ISIS will be back." No one ever said that about Al Qaeda, which is also largely gone. Um. It is possible to remove these Islamic militant organizations. ISIS, 10, 15 years ago, controlled you know, a huge swathe of the Middle East, Iraq, Syria, into Iran. 
you know, threatening the border. Do you remember they invaded Jordan and burned Jordanian Air Force pilots alive? They, they were massively oh, terrible. Thanks for yeah. thanks for re uh, re traumatizing you. Yeah, um, I suppress that memory. Yeah, I mean, you you. It is not true to say, I mean, I hear this all the time, this kind of like, oh, they're, well, they're creating the next generation of terrorists and the next generation of terrorists and the next generation of terrorists. The, the, Palestine is divided into two sections, the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. Hamas exists in the Gaza Strip. The West Bank has had just as many, and by the way, Israel is no saint of a country. It has, the people living in the West Bank have as many reasons, if not more, to embrace that kind of ideology and haven't done it. Um, so it is not it is not true to say that that you know it is inevitable that this will continue forever. I think it's also true that if Israel finishes its mission um, and gets rid of Hamas, it has a moral duty to help rebuild the Gaza Strip. It has a moral duty to rebuild the houses of civilians um, and to supply water and to give that part of the world every opportunity to flourish under a new regime. But I also think the international community has a responsibility. I think like you know the 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 UN um, is great at talking and very bad at actually doing anything. I think you know there's a real case for an international coalition or a coalition of Arab states to take a hand in the running and the administration of the Gaza Strip after the war. But I think just stopping the war now, and I mean, it's all going to start again in two years. There was a ceasefire in place on October the 6th. What happened on October the 7th? That's what I think. And I might be wrong. And if you think I'm entirely wrong, I completely respect that view. But... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that's that's where I I'm coming from. Think, I don't think I, I I think that the the cost of something that has a like really only a vague determination of what success would even look like is a worry. Mm. Like Hamas being removed, okay, yeah, but like when, how, how long, how many people will be dead? I don't know. I just it gets to the point. It feels like vengeance. As like, and and you know, I think that Israel ha- are entitled to defend themselves and all of those things. And you know, we're accused of being pro-Israel or whatever. It's it's really not the case. But I just I think this is just going on, and it's, it's so much violence and death. It's just horrific. And I'm 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 not sure. I'm not sure anymore. What, well, we'll what... see. I I suspect it's going to last a while longer. Yet, I mean, the Israelis have basically indicated that they're going to see it through so they're concerned it's finished. I mean, if we're still here in six months and they're still banging away and it's still not done, I mean, you have to start to question at that point the effectiveness of the Israeli operation. Um, I think there'll be people in Israel questioning that as well. Uh, it's true in every Western country that wars get less popular the longer they go on. I mean, look at the poor old Ukrainians. They have, uh, <laughs> they've been forgotten because in the <laughs> West... <laughs> like, it's, it's unbelievable how... It's just like been the terrible choice words were like blown out of the water by no one's talking about it. There's also there's also the basic fact. I mean, this is this is one of those things like about the Western public that the Western public have to come to terms with about themselves. Yeah. Which is that if you were somebody who was in um, March of 2022, like flying a Ukrainian banner across your social media, talking about how terrible it was at all of your reasons for believing those things and believing that you could, the Ukrainian war effort should be supported in March 2022 are still as valid today. Oh. But a lot of people, are, they're bored with the war. They're kind of like, oh, I think maybe there should be peace, there should be a ceasefire, you know. Like, why? No, Go. but this is it because, it's because, again, like, it goes back to this thing of like, 
I'm not qualified or I'm not informed enough to comment on this on social media, said nobody ever, right? It's like people, it reminds me of the episode of The Simpsons. Do you know what the monorail, when this guy comes in and because he's kind of got a cool, like hip kind of sing-songy voice and by the end, the whole crowd are chanting monorail, monorail. It's like they just all get distracted by the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And they just, we just, like we have to kind of have a word with ourselves about our attention span for things and like, you know, maybe you shouldn't kind of jump on every bandwagon that comes along and like then lose interest in it. Those things are like the things that people were saying about the Ukraine were, are still legitimate, but they've just moved on to the next thing. The other thing is, by the way, um, there are a lot of, I suspect there, there are some people strategically up in Israeli high commands talking about a long war who are, who are looking at that and figuring out that, yeah, in, I mean, I, cause I, you already see it. I, I obviously read the headlines every day because of my job. I follow the news every day for my job. Like the interest in the Israeli operation in Gaza is declining in the media. They're no longer our, the the first week of it. There were like the Journal.ie had a live blog every day about like you know missile strikes here and troops moving there. Blah blah blah. Now it's like you might get an update once a day. In in a couple of weeks that'll be an update every every two days. In three or four months' time, it'll be the war in Gaza is continuing in the background and negotiations are ongoing. I mean, people, people's attention spans go away. Yeah. Um, yes. That that is just the. It's depressing, but it's it's true. And I mean, ask. I mean, I don't have casualty counts for yesterday in the Ukrainian war, but like people died yesterday in the Ukrainian war, um, and people just don't really care anymore or, or don't care as much or aren't as focused on it. Um, so it, it's interesting because the facts on the ground haven't really changed. It's just your attention span has moved on. Anyway, speaking of attention spans moving on, we're over an hour at this stage, so I think people's attention spans might be moving on from us, Sarah. So did you have any last words? Fair enough. Um, no, one of the comment- comments that we received was that I say you know too much, so I hopefully I didn't uh, say too much this to this. Have you week. spent have you spent a whole hour talking to me consciously trying not to say you know? No, I just remembered in the last 30 seconds, so I have absolutely no idea whatsoever whether or not I said I know less or more on this occasion because I didn't remember it until the last minute. Thing is, I guarantee you, if you put the person who made that comment to you on this show or any other, and let them talk for 25 minutes uninterrupted, you'd pick something that they say. Maybe they say like all the time, like, you know, they fill their sentences like saying that. Because it happens. Maybe it's, maybe it's okay. Okay? Okay. I mean, you know, I, I love, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to name him, but like David Quinn used to co-host this show, uh, a very dear friend, and I say this fondly, but he tends to, when I'm talking to him on the phone, he, he uses okay a lot as a sort of standard punctuation. It's a thing people do when they speak. And I guarantee you, if it annoys you when somebody else does it, you probably do it yourself. Yeah, I, I wasn't particularly bothered. I have a friend who says, you know, that kind of way at the end of every sentence. Or, you know, that's her filler. You know that kind of way? You know that kind of way? Yeah, but it raises at the end, right? It's like, you know, that kind of way? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, but that's... So it's, a, but it's funny. It, there's, there's whole books written on this stuff. Like, in some cases, I don't know your friends, I'm going to say this, but like, um, so so if, if she is listening... Um, a lot of that is sort of psychological reassurance. When you when you finish your sentence with a question like, you know, like, uh, uh, there are books that will tell you the people who do that are kind of looking for reassurance in the conversation. You're supposed to nod at them. Yes, you're correct. I agree with you. You're making sense. Um, I don't know what it is for like, and I certainly, what's the one you say too much? You know. Yeah, no idea. 
Anyway, mm-hmm. if if you're listening to us and you have theories on that, or if you have something that you yourself say a lot uh, and don't like yourself saying, or maybe you don't even notice yourself saying, other people said you say it. Let us know what it is because it's a uh, it's an interesting topic. Anyway, thank you, Sarah, anyway. as ever. Um, and until next week, that, my friends, thank you for listening, was another edition of The Week That Really Was.